Welcome to Know Your Roles, the entertainment, culture, and sports podcast where we find unexpected connections across all your favorite mixed media. We talk film, television, music, literature, sports, and more. We do it all sitting down with interesting people. I'm one of your hosts, Dave Kleinman. And I'm that other guy, George Gordon. George, what do we got going on on the show this week? This week, we've got FOTP, friend of the pod, Aaron Ruth. He's got recurring roles in the show Preacher, Billions, The Gifted, and on the new show Super Pump, which premiered last week on Showtime. But before we get to all that, how are you, Dave? Well, George, I'm doing well. Thank you for asking. A couple of uh, birthdays of people close to me recently that I want to shout out and celebrate. First, it was uh, um, my sister-in-law, or future sister-in-law, same to me, um, Sammy. Uh, happy birthday, Sammy, who, who George also knows. Uh, March 3rd, we had a uh, nice little get-together with the family. That was nice. And then the day that this this episode is airing, March 11th, is my Uncle Jack. It's his birthday. Happy birthday, Uncle Jack. And uh, yeah, I just uh, wanted to uh, wish them well and a happy birthday. George, how are you doing, man? What's your week been like? Uh, it's been it's been good. Got to uh, see Le Batman. I'm not calling it the Batman. I'm calling it Le Batman because uh, it's a French film. It's it's very long. Uh, so I saw Le Batman ha, 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 this week, and um, uh, I feel like bars are coming back in a major way. So uh, let's, let's let's make some money from now until we all get COVID. <laughs> Who knows? I, or or lose our fucking minds. Um, but yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> All right, George, what do you say we go to the bar? Absolutely, Dave. Today on Bar Talk and What's on Tap, we're going to be talking about the MLB lockout. The Major League Baseball has canceled the first two weekends of the season. Uh, second, we're going to be talking about the premiere of Top Chef Houston, a show that we both watch and thoroughly enjoy. And finally, this week for Bartender's Choice, I'm going to talk about the rise of TV shows that are inspired by true events and whether or not I think that's good TV. But Dave, let's talk about MLB. All right. Well, yeah, they canceled the first two series of the season because of this lockout. And like, you know, there was a George and I are old enough to remember 1994, uh, which doesn't feel like that long ago. But uh, when they had a a player strike and they canceled half of the season and there's a lot to unpack there. We won't spend like too much time. But the couple of things I want to mention is one, this is different because this is a lockout, not a strike. In the strike, the players were choosing to not fucking go to work because they were not happy with the conditions. This time, they are not happy with the conditions and they're like trying to negotiate a new collective bargaining agreement and the fucking owners are like, well, fuck y'all. We don't want to make any concessions. We want to keep all the money. So we're literally going to lock you out of the facilities. So the like players and 
coaches and everything, they cannot even go to the facilities. They are literally locked out, um, which is ridiculous. And the only reason that fucking baseball recovered from that 1994 strike is because Bud Selig, the fucking commissioner, looked the other way when he knew all these motherfuckers were on steroids because it was increasing the popularity of the game. And he had Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire and Barry Bonds. These guys were like making the game much more popular than it even was before the fucking strike, you know, but, but uh, I remember, I mean, speaking of my, my uncle Jack earlier, just a very quick anecdote. I remember visiting him in San Francisco and like, I guess it was when the strike was going on or it was like right after the strike and his, his like neighbor, was like a big baseball fan. And I just remember this guy being like super fucking cantankerous and being like, I'm fucking done. I'm done with baseball. They, they're they all spoiled brats. <laughs> you know, and I think that that attitude is going to have, like it's even less popular than it, that, or it's less popular now than it was then. And I think it's going to have a hard time recovering from this. Um, you know, because they just look, they just, like I said, the, the owners look like assholes. Again, there's a really good ProPublica report from like months ago about how, don't ever let these baseball owners or these sports franchise owners convince you that they lose money, that they operate at a loss. That's ridiculous. It's all tax write-offs because of our system is so fucking stupid and catered to the 1%. Um, sorry. Uh, uh, thank you for listening to me talk my shit for a second. But uh, yeah, I really, I'm, I'm uh, mostly upset because I'm planning on winning a lot of money betting on baseball this year. And they need to like play so I can do that. <laughs> but uh george do you like do you care like are you just like um, i don't care about baseball anymore like they suck or what do you feel about it no i i i, I briefly I, I don't really get that into baseball until about june which is after the nba and the nhl seasons are over with so whatever they do until june i don't really care yeah so as long as they're playing once the finals are over yeah, yeah, yeah. As, long as, as long as we got something going on in june then i'm cool with it so. I can, I agree because I'll be betting on basketball until that point. So yeah. when that ends, 90, I'd like 90, 90 game season sounds juicy. So I agree with you. 160 <laughs> games in a season is unbelievably ridiculous. And, yeah, that's uh, fun. You know, and then they say that they they don't make money. But yeah, all right. Let's go to the next one, George. What do we got? Uh, we're gonna talk briefly about Top Chef Houston. Um, I watched the the first episode this uh, I think it was yesterday, two days ago. And uh, one of the things that I'm enjoying about Top Chef in the past couple of years is because of because of the pandemic that we've been in, it feels like the show is just about cooking and hanging out, which I thoroughly enjoy, and less about what villain or what shithead is somebody we should uh, we should sort of pull forward that's that's like a good chef, but they're like not great to be around. I just like the fact that I'm hanging out with these people in different restaurants, and I think it makes for a better show. So uh, I know you guys watch it. What do you think? Uh, yeah, well, I agree with you on that. Like, I think that they stopped getting like shittier people. You know, they 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 like did a better job kind of like getting better people. Although what I will say that they're not doing a very good job addressing the shit that happened last season, which they crowned a winner. And then he was fired from his restaurant because he was an abuser and like harassed uh, one of his uh employees and then fired her for not uh accepting his advances and they mm -hmm. haven't talked about that at all but uh i am glad to see that the person who one of the people who got screwed by that situation um dawn who was the runner-up who i believe should have won she was a judge on this season so like they it's clearly to me like a mea culpa of like 
we'll bring you back and we'll have you know we'll have you still be still be here because she's awesome and the other cool thing that is that it's in houston which is a city that i don't know like a ton about i have friends from houston uh shout out maya and savita um and i've heard it's a great city it sounds super cool it's like is it the third or the fourth biggest city in the country and Mm -hmm. you know it doesn't have the doesn't get put on the pedestal when you're talking about food as much as like a new york or an la um you know or chicago or anything like that but it's got a lot to offer clearly and there's a lot of different uh types of people who you know that that populate it so i'm i'm really interested in the season and you know we always love the competition and you know love to watch it so yeah top chef back at it again for the fucking a millionth season or whatever it is season 17 18 mm-hmm. yeah shit'll go till until they decide to stop it well, um, let's keep our fingers crossed it keeps going I, I i love top chef yeah me too all right george i think uh we're ready for some bartender's choice You're <laughs> up. what do you uh what do you got there so we briefly touched on this um on our last episode because uh super pumped that premiered and uh we're having aaron as our guest who's a who plays a character on the show but in that time that we recorded this episode we have gotten a TV show about Elizabeth Holmes that premiered this week. We've gotten a show about Joe and uh, Carol, uh, the Tiger King that premiered this week as well. We had Inventing Anna. Uh, that was a, a TV show about the uh, the woman who scammed um, the Upper West Side. Uh, all these shows I've watched, by the way. Um, we've got Pam and Tommy in the upcoming. We still have the, the show about the Lakers. And now that I've thought about it, the past uh, few weeks, and we still have a lot more shows about these uh, inspired by true events. I'm starting to think is like, is this good TV? And I'm starting to think is like, I don't think it is, because it's like one or two a year is interesting. The People versus OJ, uh, and then the other shows that, that premiered on FX about other people. But now I feel like it's every week we're starting to have these shows. And I feel like it's it's making writers a tad lazy because inspired by true events, it's like there's an element of truth in it. And I am a stickler for the details. And I don't know if this is great, great TV. So I'm hoping that we come back around to, we have this run of these kind of shows, but eventually we come back around to script the TV and just thoughts from somebody's brain rather than pick from pluck from the headlines and, and TV shows. So that's where I'm at right now where the inspired by true events TV shows. I think there's just too many. Hot take. Hot take. There's way too many of them. George Gordon. I <laughs> I agree. We we do seem to be oversaturated with them right now. Um, you know, I think that they're it depends on the show, of course. But like to your point, and you've mentioned this before, it's really hard to like make art or entertainment about real life events that literally just fucking happened. Mm-hmm. like are still ongoing it's not impossible but like art good art is like hindsight and like you know you you can like comments on context and shit and like stuff that happened six months ago is not exactly like ripe for you know but but that's like the 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 society and the culture that we live in of like the immediacy and like of capitalism and shit of like we got to get this now. We got to talk about this now. And and then when one per, when one thing comes out, it's like, well, well, we have content on this subject too. So we have to mm-hmm. put this content out. 
Uh, so yeah, I agree with you. I hope, and I hope uh, some some writers get better at their jobs <laughs> and start yeah, doing other things. There's there's two shows about uh, Joe and Carol. Uh, Hulu just premiered one, and there's one coming out in a few months this summer about Joe and Carol. Uh, I didn't think that was a great Netflix show. Now we have two scripted TV shows about <laughs> this phenomenon. So I mean, it's like we have the documentary. Like we don't need to have it. We don't need to learn anything else. Like we don't need these characters in our lives anymore. Like it was mm -hmm. fine while it lasted. <laughs> Again, show me the real thing then. But yeah, I'm with you. No, no more of that shit. Yeah, because it's it's veering off into Lifetime movie. Uh, no, no hate towards the Lifetime movie. I enjoy a Lifetime movie from time to time, but we're veering off into Lifetime movie. Yeah. Right? It's, anyway. it's not what you're looking for every goddamn offering that's on TV or streaming, which is like what it seems like it is. Everything. <laughs> Everything new. All right. Well, I think uh, I think that'll do it for the bar, George. How do you feel? Uh, I feel great. Let's go talk to Aaron. Sweet. Uh, well, I, I moved to this block about six years ago, five years ago. Um, yeah, and to the best of my knowledge, I think you've, you've, been, you've been there the whole time, right? Maybe. Yep. yep. Yeah, general yep. <laughs> sneaking into your bar late night. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, think, I think we actually met before you had moved in, probably. Yeah, that's possible. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's a really foggy time, you know, when you're like spending time at I, both apartments, somehow you've got like dual residency in two different boroughs. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I, I think I told the story when, when Sebastian was on, but you got like, just very briefly, you guys were like two of the people that I met like early on that like we just established a relationship right away because you, you, there was just an unspoken thing of like, I, I attributed to us all being bartenders and, and like, yeah, you know, you can just, you just know when when somebody the, the, because you know how to behave yeah. we know how to behave yeah. and, and, and like this the way that you treat people is different and like you had asked me a question about something and i was just like i can't believe you even asked i can't believe you even thought about that so i know that like <laughs> you're not just thinking about what you like about yourself and what you want which is 90 five percent of all customers uh pre-pandemic now it's probably 99.9 percent .9 of all customers um but uh that's not a bad place to start with you because you are someone who recently I, well correct me if i'm wrong are you still doing any bar shifts at all i am i'm done done um i i hung on a little longer than i probably even should have like i really kind of had double booked myself for much longer but you know it's the freelance thing like you don't really trust that you're okay <laughs> once you're used to like you know fighting for ships and it's you know it's the golden handcuffs we've talked about like it's it's hard to it's hard to let go of the steady money even if it's steady bar money um but when when pandemic stuff came down you know they changed the the hours around for those first two weeks and i was like oh, i'm out because i have stuff to do during the day and then when they were done done i looked at sebastian i was like i think i'm really done he's like yeah you might be so I do get to go to the staff party on Monday for uh, St. <laughs> Bar. So like, I won't be getting like any bronzed shoes or anything, but I kind of feel like if they buy me a martini at Keens, that might be my retirement gift. And I'd be happy with that. Nice. 
you know, that whole, it's such a common thing that, I mean, all three of us on this call and Mary Bess has also uh, worked in service as well. It's, it's one of those things that like, sometimes you kind of get, it, you just go through a lot of different emotions about it and can, can maybe get jaded because it's not like necessarily what you want to do, but it's also something that like you put yourself into you, 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 you weren't someone who like, you were good at the job, you know, you cared about the job and you weren't someone who was like, just like fucking around. Of course it was your source of money, but it was also something that you put yourself into. Have you like, do you miss it at all? Or, you know, how are you feeling about it with some time? I mean, I, on one level, like, I think I probably should have cared a lot less, but uh, <laughs> you know, it's yeah. kind of, yeah, of course, you know, you know that story, but um, I realized that uh, it was also how I was socializing, um, that I very much like, like, it takes effort to like call friends and make plans and like keep up with people instead of just having like, hey, I got my Saturday shift, like swing by and let me, you know, buy you a beer. Um, so in terms of missing it, like there's a, there's a lot of things I do. I miss, I, I was doing it for a long time, but I miss something that I'm like effortlessly good at. Do you know what I mean? Like there, you, in terms of a job, like, if you're a plumber, you're a bartender, whatever, you can find workarounds and cheats. And when you do it for a long time, you get very efficient at it. Things like the other half of what we do as creative people, like it should always be hard. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you should never have cheats and workarounds. So I'm, there is something about the relief of just like popping into a place and knowing exactly what I'm doing and doing it really well and doing it really fast. And, and yeah, and, and just um, maybe not so much the last days of the last bar job, but I do miss a big aspect of the city of just meeting interesting people and having conversations. And um, I don't know if you've had this experience where like once you've been kind of like cooped up too long, I think everybody's having a little like post pandemic kind of like <laughs> come, come to grips with themselves. Um, it turns out I have a lot to say to people I have never met before. And I don't know if I was always like that, but like definitely now I'm just like, yeah, within three minutes, I'm like, cool, tell me all about like your terrifying father and like how you, <laughs> like your experiences in private school. Like I wanna hear all of it immediately. Um, so that could be the pandemic. It could be, it could be that, uh, yeah, I don't get that Saturday night, Sunday night um, salon anymore. Yeah, it's a whole thing. Uh, You're having a different version yeah, of it. Totally, but uh, you know, that's, it's really, it's always inspiring to, to see people like to leave it behind and, uh, you know, kind of, kind of branch out and you're a full-time actor now, which, you know, you've been okay. a working actor for a long yeah. time, balancing those two things. Is there anything that you took from bartending into acting? You know, anything that like any skill that you develop that you, you will take forward with you? That's interesting. I, I think about that a lot because I think it's easy because of the hours and the way that, you know, just sort of physically you can get exploited and it, and it does, it crowds the rest of your free time. Like you, you jump in thinking like, well, I can certainly work all night and, and then like hustle all day and do that on repeat. And, and it turns out that that's not quite true. Um, in your twenties. So, or, <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, but then, you know, once, once you're, you're in kind of deep, you're like, all right, why am I still here? What can I take from it? What am I going to get? And, and even if it's not, well, you know, I'm meeting people and I'm having, you know, these kinds of interactions, um, which is also great. I think what, what I am still trying to like process, and I, I think this is part of it, is like, I'm very much, the way that I approach things has always been put my head down 
and and go like hell, like put my head down and go as hard as I can. So whether that's bartending, whether that's um, the way that I've approached uh, my career or trying to find a foothold in um, in any kind of creative work, it's just, well, if I work hard enough, if I put my head down and just, you know, bust it out, then every, then everything will be fine. And it turns out that that's not actually entirely true, that you do, you have to finesse people, you have to be paying attention and you, and uh, in, in terms of working in a bar, whether you like it or not, you, you do have to share of yourself, which I think I'm a, I'm a very efficient bartender. I'm a very fast bartender. Um, but I'm not everybody's bartender. I, you know, I, I, <laughs> yeah. And I think you, you just, you kind of have to know, you got to know your crowd and what, and what they're buying. And sometimes it is not my efficiency and like, and all of my tricks and like my octopus arm, like they don't, you know, sometimes they do not want any of that. Sometimes they actually just want me to share of myself and that's going to be okay with me sometimes. And sometimes it's not. And that's, um, yeah, the, the charm thing. Yeah. That's, did I, did I learn how to do that? It's still up in the air. <laughs> Aaron, we could wax poetically about bartending from now until the cows come home, but we brought you on for a reason. We're going to talk about your, your, your life now, which is as an actor and as, as a working actor, being on Preacher and Billions and The Gifted and the new show, Super Pump, which I watched the first episode last week, which I thoroughly enjoyed. We've had uh, some other actors on our podcast from the Brian Koppelman, David Levine world. What is it like working with them? Because they have a very specific way they work. Yeah, you guys spoke to Will Rowland, who is, uh, who is a Billions alum. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so I I came on for season two of Billions, um, which is like one of the longer audition processes that I had. But um, I mean, they're they're extraordinarily thorough and specific about what they want and what they do, and they absolutely love actors. Like the way that they are infatuated with actors is um, is really is really cool. And they love New York actors because they love words and they love people who 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 are just sort of willing to get their hands dirty and all of that text and and play the rhythm of the text and uh even though my character sort of made it into season three and then was not in season three um they were always generous enough to to sort of keep me on if they needed if there was a character they hadn't cast or actors who couldn't make it to the table reads they always called me in to um to jump in and so for the last said maybe four years three years four years um i've always got to like stay in the room and hear these words. And now I feel like I could read an entire billion script in the voice of every character. <laughs> um, and it was just, it's just very cool. Like they, they love that process and they, and they are, they're very clear about um, how they want it to sound. I mean, it's, it's much like, um, uh, like network or Aaron Sorkin, you know, Aaron Sorkin or um, maybe a little, uh, I was thinking of like Mamet or somebody who's like very Mamet. Thank you. That's exactly where I was going. Yeah. Um, yeah. Exactly. But they, you, you can always hear their voice in, in their scripts. And yeah. And that's just, and you know the kind of ride that you're going to go on. You know, there's going to be a, uh, an intellectual tête-à-tête between you know these two sort of like Shakespearean characters. You having a having a status fight. Yeah. And and it's all of the the power dynamics are wonderfully twisted and keep flipping over and over like through through the whole thing and full of references that you have to go back and get footnotes for every every time but it's it's just it's really enjoyable that's most and yeah that they're they're ex- extraordinarily generous when um they just they like 
they love actors. So super pumped is there is there a new show which you're on and that you'll be on, I think in a couple episodes. What are some of the things that you learned about uh, Uber and Travis? Because I didn't know too much about that whole rise and fall. And now I'm watching this play out on a TV show. I'm like, wow, this is, this is batshit crazy. The whole series is based on a book by a guy called Mike Isaac, who is a journalist for GQ and Vanity Fair and, and the Times. So he compiled all of his experience. He had something like 200 sources within the company and all of the VCs around Silicon Valley. It's it's not a world that I swim in or know anything about. I mean, this is that kind of culture is <laughs> so far away from, and intentionally sometimes uh, away from, you know, sort of what I relate to, but it, you really get a good sense of how that kind of Machiavellian Peter Thiel domination is everything culture works within a technology that affects people's lives and how it, uniformly changed an entire industry. For better or for worse is kind of up for, I think that's part of the discussion. But I think, and I think Billions does this too, where there's kind of a fascination with these characters who are, who are warriors. What do you do with a warrior who is so good at what they do or so good at winning battles that are, does that act inherently make them a good leader? So when there are no more battles to fight, what do you do with all of that energy and all of that that skill to dominate. And this is this is a very distilled version of that. I would argue that many characters in Billions have that same, same core. Yeah, but the, the details, the details of the shady things that Uber did are yeah, they're pretty, they're pretty disturbing. <laughs> I believe it. Uh, all of those big tech companies, like it's a shell game. It's all a fucking shell game. Like well, and and this idea that um Oh, you know what? Well, well, yeah, there's a law, whatever. Yeah. We're going to break it now. They'll adjust. Once they see how everyone needs us, they see how essential we are, then they'll forgive us for every terrible violation of privacy <laughs> that we're engaged in. Yeah, well, and not to mention like the people on the payroll who are also in the government or like have time, you know what I mean? Like it's it's all symbiotic in a sick fucking nasty web. Well, and, and it becomes sort of, um, it's just very... Uh, semantic at the end of the day you know that and I think that gets addressed in the first episode which you saw and then as they go on um it's isn't isn't what we're making so important that it doesn't matter what kind of barriers we're busting through and who whose lives we're jostling I just I first want to say here I've definitely said this to you but congratulations on on the part uh it's just an awesome role I'm I'm ex I haven't gotten into it yet because I know the episodes with you haven't aired yet so I'm kind of waiting and then I'm gonna bust through it uh but will you tell us about your character yeah so uh my character is one of the the few that isn't based on um a real specific individual um, I'm kind of an amalgam. I'm a I'm a, an avatar for all of the journalists. I'm Kara Swisher. I'm Mike Isaac. I'm uh, the guy who embedded himself for GQ. All kind of rolled into one. So I I am the media and and how that inserts itself within that the process of trying to become an industry dominator or you know having your entire investment <laughs> come under threat. So yeah, I'm I'm essentially. I'm the journalist who proves to be, if not a threat, maybe the foil, maybe the catalyst. That's awesome. That just means while I'm watching it, I'm just going to be like, get them, get them. 
but uh, just shifting a little bit, that's such a great part for you. But you're someone who's you've really had some awesome parts, especially like in the last few years. Um, on the gifted, you are a, a you've played a character that is now in the Marvel universe. You're you're in the Marvel universe now. On um, Preacher, you play a character named Angel of Death. Did you ever think to yourself? when you were growing up wanting to be an actor that you were going to have like action figures and like comic books after like roles you've played? Uh, no, I mean, I had no idea. I, you know, to be honest, like I, I always wanted to do um, film and theater. I legitimately thought that I was going to be doing some weird downtown stuff or like a puppet show in Dubrovnik or something like, it, like the idea of um, television in that way did not occur to me or or I think to anyone who's like going through this the last 15 years of television like you know it's totally different than anything we could have imagined and wonderful and full of opportunities but um and so in some ways the strangeness of those roles doesn't surprise me um but it is really like the engagement with just the uh, the comic community is really cool that there these things have these pre-existing histories that you have to catch up with and then you have to figure out a way to to have ownership of it and also kind of respect what you know the opinions of many thousands of people who already um who, who've already been living with that character much longer than you have in the case of preacher we, we, it was it was a cult comic in the 90s that loads of people admired and they and they really they took a lot of liberties but i think the series is so much fun and the series is so good that uh many people are very forgiving about it but um the, the character the angel of death in the series itself has three pages hands over their swords to to another character and then and then walks off and then is gone it's just like retired and say you know what i can't do this anymore i'm out but they you know amc decided that they wanted to to take it a little bit further and how they just you know vehicles for fun and vehicles for all of the mayhem that is that series which is a, you know it's a great opportunity in that sense that's like well we're clearly not doing it this way uh the guy in the in the books legitimately looks like kenny g with no eyeballs so, <laughs> you know, I can't possibly do that. So what am I going to do instead? And then you get to do whatever you want, which is great. But yeah, there is no, there is no straight line in terms of the roles and what they are. On The Gifted, it's a dragon with massive hands and fingernails and, you know, breathing fire. And, and then everywhere else, I'm wearing like an Ann Taylor pantsuit. So it's... <laughs> That must be like pretty fun when you can get into those roles. Uh, the gifted, the characters, Evangeline, right? And you're like a your dragon where, lawyer. You're a you're a lawyer as well. Yeah, um, and she is she's a part of the um, the original. It's um, somebody's gonna get mad at me. I believe it's 192 X Men in the in the um, of the original canon, and in the comics, she as well is is this sort of uh, really gloriously goth character who then becomes an advocate for mutant rights and when she gets very angry or smells blood she turns into a dragon and the gifted that that particular production the, my first day they were like you know this is kind of a shout out to that character but dragons are really not what we do you know they're, they're really more like mentalists and they, so this was fun but you know cool we'll see you around and then later they were like actually we're kind of into that <laughs> so they 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 kept writing her in as like a a mentor for for that other crop of of mutants <laughs> have there been times that you read a part and you're like holy shit i get to do that that sounds awesome 
Well, that's the thing that the surprises have always sort of have come in later. Like um, with Preacher, I didn't realize it revealed itself in a couple of episodes that I, I have a, uh, a whip that drags people to hell. And they hired a guy from Cirque du Soleil who was like a whip master to teach me how to crack this 12 foot bull whip. And I was like, and you just wake up one day and we're like, all right, okay, well, I gotta, I'm gonna go to the, um, the stunt house today. What am I doing? Yeah, I'm gonna learn how to, uh, how to wield a 12 foot bull whip which I, I was like, I, I really want to keep this up. Maybe I can like go on the roof of my building here and like scare the bejesus out of my neighbors. <laughs> but just fun little things, you, you know, you realize like, oh, what am I doing? I'm going to jump on a, a, a 20 foot trampoline <laughs> today. <laughs> you know, you, you mentioned how when you were coming up, you didn't necessarily, you're thinking of it in, in more of a, a film and, and theater type way, but is there anything from like kind of catching your groove with uh roles in TV uh, that you that you really didn't expect to enjoy, but now you like about being like a TV actor? I mean, I think the, the variety of it is absolutely the thing. I mean, I don't think I have any control over um, what's coming or who's seeing what. Uh, I, I had a conversation just the other day with um, somebody I was submitted for a role and the casting director was like, mm, she's she's too elegant. She can't she can't do this kind of hillbilly who like grooms horses in in the middle of you know in the middle of the country. And I was like, I'm actually a hillbilly who used to groom horses. <laughs> I was like, How can you, you know, there's a sort of disconnect where, you know, you're you're always at um kind of a struggle to, you know, do absolutely everything and and sort of show yourself at the same time. Um, but what I I so I I do appreciate the thing that I that I wanted when you know you're five years old and you think that this is gonna be a good idea, which is not having to choose to live your life one way. Like I, I wanted to, all, to do all the things, right? I wanted to be an astronaut and a teacher and a painter. And I, you know, though I had like seven things I wanted to do. And then I was like, you know what? I found a cheat code. I'm gonna be an actor. And then I can pretend to do all those things. <laughs> I can have all of them. And there, there's just so much good TV. There's so many phenomenal mm -hmm. writers and there's so, there's so much talent. Um, behind the camera and clearly in front of the camera um, that you really get like th this whole buffet of experiences that uh, not to say that that doesn't happen in, in film and theater, but um, it's just where everybody's moved to at the moment and certainly where, you know, where the pot is, is bubbling. So. I know some of your backstory, but you just mentioned uh, being a hillbilly that that groomed horses. And <laughs> how do you how do you go from that to being uh, the angel of death? <laughs> yeah, I'm still trying to figure it out. Uh, <laughs> now you know. So I'm I'm from Southeast Ohio, which is the sort of beginnings of the Appalachian part of Ohio, and so it's very beautiful, but pretty backward. And uh, I was I was very lucky that my grandparents on both sides were uh, involved in the arts in some way. My my father's parents were both musicians, mostly employed. <laughs> um, my my mother's father was a sculptor, and um, it, it was really lucky that saying that I wanted a career in art was a legitimate thing. So I, you know, I grew up with a lot of far more talented than myself. Um, my friends who were brilliant musicians or brilliant artists. And, but, but in a really sad way, that was not, that wasn't a, a viable path. Um, going to school, going to art school was absolutely, would have been seen as it's a, it's a waste of time, it's a waste of money. 
um, or just really foolish. So uh, I, I consider myself lucky that my, particularly my grandmother, um, they were, they were very encouraging. They were like, absolutely, you could do that. Um, but also they were like, you're kind of the dumb one. We're just glad if you just go to school and don't get arrested, like do whatever you're going to do. Um, please just be safe, be okay. It's fine. Yeah. Art school. I find it interesting because, you know, it makes a lot of sense as to why, because you don't strike me as somebody who came from like a very small town with like a lot of small worldviews. Is there anything that you're looking for in a script when you get it that you're trying to key in on or you're, you're more just like, I got this script, so I'm going to just, just try to find something that I can dive into? Uh, it's, def it's definitely both. I, my, the thing that I, I try mostly to do is to, not, is to not check out when I think I know what something is to keep challenging myself to, to make sure that I'm finding something that is interesting to me to, to get me through the two, three days that I'm going to work on it. And because and, otherwise, what is the point? Um, to ask the right questions that keep myself engaged. But there's definitely well-written work is easy to work on. It just, that's also, I would say what, um, what Brian and David do really well, that the, the scripts feel easy because the language is well-written and you can tell when a thing is awkwardly written, it's just, it's just hard to work with. But every now and then something will come across that, I, that on the page you can just tell is absolutely brilliant and is going to be brilliant. Or, you know, you're like, well, in the right hands, this is going to be genius. Um, and uh, in the last couple of years, there's been like two or three projects where I'm just like, ah, this one, this one's going to be great. Again, no control over what happens after that. But I will say there, like, um, there's a horror script, sort of maybe like more an allegory called The Nanny that was absolutely brilliant on the page, absolutely beautiful. And um, now I'm starting to see promos for it. And I think they, I think they nailed it. And you could just tell it's so satisfying to go, this reads so well. And then you're seeing it up there and you're like, and yeah, and I think they, I think they got it. So yeah, there's a few of those. Yeah. Well, and you may not have control as far as like, you know, you want, you're wanting to take the work that comes to you, but at the same time, like there are projects that, you know, you're like, okay, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do this one because it's going to be good for me, but like, I'm not necessarily going to be like intellectually stimulated or, or you know, what, what have you. But I think there's a lot of value in a lot of that stuff. And one of the things that you were doing, I believe pre-pandemic and, and uh, you mentioned it briefly, but kind of transitioned into it was voice acting. And you were doing a lot of like voiceover work for like commercial and stuff like that. And, you know, it's such a, it's a, almost a different skill in a lot of ways, but it's something that maybe fit into the category of like, I'm not doing this for like the love of it. I'm doing this because it's a job. But is there anything that you took from it of like, oh, this is making me a better actor? Yeah, well, in some ways, one, it's, it's a great job. And so, it, and it feels good to, you sort of get in a room and you're like, oh, I know, I know how to do this. I've actually trained to do this. Uh, I, I laid on the floor and did some silly voice classes for a couple of years, actually came to some good. Um, but that stuff, it's, it's, it's so quick, the work, and it's so kind of specific in terms of, of what they need and tone and speed and things like that. And I would say the one thing, if there's a technical benefit, it's that in a really short amount of time, you have to, you have to hear yourself and you have to be able to hear the variations on your choices really quickly. So whatever, you know, it's a little promo. If it's just one sentence, you know, you're going to give three variations on it. You have to get out of your own, uh, 
you have to throw away your best choice, whatever you think your best idea was a couple times over and just keep going and, and deliver three very good choices or four very good choices in a hurry, which um, on set, and it's very easy to say, okay, I've solved it. And this is exactly how I'm going to do it and get really rigid about the one good idea you had, the one good choice. You're just going to stick to it rather than like tossing it off between takes or, or um, if you're very lucky, there's a director who will say, okay, you did that very, you know, we nailed that one. Now let's try it a little, you know, let's put a little red pepper on it. Let's put a little, you know, <laughs> we'll change it up between, between the thing. Um, and so just, just making decisions quickly, I think is the thing that you learn from doing something that not necessarily that you don't care about, but the, the stakes are much lower. So you get to feel the freedom of, of how malleable it can be. And yeah, and getting out of listening to your own voice. We've, we've all had that, those moments, for sure. <laughs> Ironically. <laughs> Sorry, I'm losing my voice over here. I smoked a lot of cigarettes last night, which is why I'm, it's even deeper than normal. Big night. Yeah, well, you know, I, I like to get out there. Uh, anyway, enough about me. So Aaron, uh, here on the Know Your Rolls podcast, what we do is we like to take two things that seemingly have nothing to do with each other and try to make a connection to them. And for your episode, we're going to be doing bars and TV shows um, I, we used to do five. I usually go first, Dave will go second. You as our distinguished guest is going to go third, start with the TV show first and then to the bar. Uh, my first show is a show that I recently watched that, did I enjoy? No, but I think it was, uh, necessary. Absolutely not. And the show I'm talking about is, and just like that, uh, I am a sex in the city fan. Uh, I've been on wax talking about how great the show was. So, uh, for me, whenever I, I, there was a show on TV, it was like, who asked for this and why are we doing this? And just like that is a show that I thought was like, oh, I get to get back in this world with these, with these characters that I enjoy. Oh, they did not do this how I want it to be. So for me, and just like that is the Mars bar of bars. If you don't know Mars bar, I, I'm looking at you guys' faces. You clearly know this bar. <laughs> Mars bar is one, it was one of the worst bars on the planet. I described it as smelling like a room full of bike messengers. So just like that is the Mars bar of bars, Dave. Mars bar, yeah, I, I like had that in my head and then I didn't, uh, uh, it's a New York City bar, of course. I, I didn't use it because I couldn't think of anything that like, terrified me as much as like the mars bar bat the mars bar uh, bathroom you know like uh or like just outside like dealing with like all the fucking people doing drugs and shit um yeah that was a that was a that was a place for sure mm -hmm. um all right my first one my first tv show is one that only lasted one season but i think it was it was uh one it's one of my favorites and that's Judd Apatow's second show, which is Undeclared, which is about uh, college kids. Not that many people watched it when it aired, but it became kind of like a cult following afterwards. Uh, and also, uh, I'm gonna do I'm gonna do a name drop here and share with y'all that I introduced the Safdie brothers to this show because I had it on DVD in college, and like one of their buds, Sam, who's like their art director now, I think. Um, we were buds and we watched it together and he was like oh i gotta show this to them so uh yeah they they loved it too so it's good enough for them then it's good enough for all of us <laughs> but as a bar it's i wanted to choose something that reminded me of college something that was 
super fun, but also you don't want to spend too much time there, which is a bar called Our House that I went to in college in Boston. The only reason I went there is because I could get in with a fake ID and I was poor. And they had this thing called a brew baker, which was like a $2 beer that was like a, it was like a 32 ounce bottle. And I shit you not, I'm pretty sure they reused these bottles because like, it, it was like, it was, I, I don't know what I contracted from uh, drinking those, but anyway, it was a great time. Just like undeclared, the our house, Heron. Uh, you guys, I, I went through a journey with this, I have to say. I was like, I, I can't think of anything. And then I came up with 20. And then I was like, well, I can't shout out the bars I love the most because that's how they stay the bars I love the most. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> um, yeah, and, uh, but I also did it in reverse. So I was focusing on the bars and then, and then the TV show, but I will, I will follow your lead. Because um, when you asked me to do this, I was like, okay, TV shows, what comes to mind? And I was like, for no reason, absolutely no reason. I was like, Family Ties is a TV show. It's kind of, it's warm, it's nostalgic. It's like, you know, it's got its like liberal dad. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's got a great 80s sheen to it. And it also harbors probably some Republican sympathies. So um, that's why I decided that it is, it's Walkers in Tribeca, which is, if you haven't been, is a time capsule, a really lovely, cozy time capsule, but um, also one in which you probably don't want to get into uh, a conversation. It, it's it's got that sheen <laughs> of dated on it, where you just like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna peel that back. I'm gonna, I gotta pretend like it's 1985 when I sit here. Um, yeah, no, no talking politics. <laughs> right, right, a, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome, George. All right, so uh, my next show um, uh, is the reason why it's on my list, the reason why I like it is for, well, I mean, there's two reasons. Like one, my grandmother enjoyed it. We used to watch it together when I was a kid. And for me, it is hands down one of the best theme songs of all time, which is WKRP in Cincinnati. I just enjoy that, that whole, they, they gave me the whole show in that two minute song. If you've ever wondered, wonder whatever became of me, I'm living on the air in Cincinnati which is such a great line in a, in a theme song. And it's just something that just makes me feel good. makes me feel like uh, being young, watching that TV show with my grandmother. So that the bar that I have for that is a, is a bar that uh, from college, it's a college bar that you never grow up, you never grow out of, which is Newbies in Memphis, Tennessee, where I went to college. Newbies also makes me feel warm and fuzzy, just like WKRP in Cincinnati. Dave. Awesome. All right, my next one is, uh... I, I wrote this for both the TV show and the bar, New York as fuck, um, because the TV show is another kind of short-lived series, but How to Make It in America, the HBO show uh, that was about like young artists, creative types in like the Lower East Side and, and uh, um, New York. And it's a pretty cool show. It had great music. I thought it was short-lived. It was a lot of like, there was a lot of hip hop music in it. And it was like cool, like Lower East Side type vibe. And I was a young, you know, artistic person living in New York and it, I really identified with it. I don't know if like people outside of New York really related to it. Cause like I said, it was very fucking New York, um, which is why as a bar, it's the original Max Fish 
Max Fish <laughs> also in Lower East Side. Uh, I know they've they've since moved and it's like a different it's you know it's it's not the same uh for me at least but i used to go there back in like the early 2000s and there would always be like all these like indie rappers there like lp used to be there and like aesop rock and like you just feel feel cool and it was like they played all this music that i grew up with so yeah how to make it in america max fish in new york city that was the best place to have a bar, hide behind the pool table and just watch people. There was never anybody mm -hmm. back there, a couple people playing pool, but you could just chill on those couches and kind of watch all the sceny stuff happen without actually having to engage in it. Yes, it was... people watching <laughs> yeah. was like, yeah, it would, there were some times where you'd be like, oh God, I gotta, I gotta get out of here before I punch someone. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, good times. Yeah. Um, my, uh, my second choice is, um, Based on the, one of the one of the series that we binged during lockdown, I don't know if you guys saw any of Brockmire, um, which about the 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 baseball announcer who is like completely lost his mind and and is trying to it, put his life back together um, with Amanda Peet, uh, who also produced it. God bless her. It's like it's it's a very funny show, um, and I know this is gonna happen. God love me, I've forgotten. The actor's name. Sorry, Hank Azaria. Uh, Hank Azaria. I even. I, I love that show. So, it's it's phenomenal. And, and this is this apparently this was like a character that Hank Azaria just used to do for fun. It was just like a thing that like, um, you know, peeled out of him sometimes. Uh, also making a phenomenal cameo and super pumped. There's there's lots of little treats through the series. I have mm -hmm. to say, and and he's one of them. Um, but there's there's something about that character that is like it's partly it's despicable and it's charming and you're always you 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 want him to, to succeed but you also know it's apps there's kind of no way that it's going to happen but you're always kind of happy to spend time um spend time in that world and i'm actually i'm a big fan of dive bar so i had a mars bar was the place to go get a beer at three in the afternoon if you really needed to <laughs> um but that is why brockmeyer is the Milano's in my life, which is a bar that is, it's it's a bit sad, but it's a lot of fun. Um, you kind of want to spend time there, but you shouldn't. Uh, <laughs> and you're always rooting for it. I'm actually not sure if they survived yet since, yeah, but I gotta check it out. Yeah, that's definitely one of those places and some of the other places we mentioned where like, it's a different vibe depending on like the day and the hour of the day that you're there, <laughs> you know, like if it's, if it's like a packed time, like it's like, Ooh, but if there's just one or two old timers at the bar, just don't talk politics and you'll be fine. <laughs> it's a good, it's a good afternoon bar. It's a good Sunday night bar. Um, I, I think, yeah, maybe people file in there. Like maybe it gets packed on a Saturday. I would, I haven't been out on a Saturday for so long. I have no idea, but, um, yeah, I, I don't know. What I'm talking about. I just I hope it's still there. I don't want to I don't want to like invest too much in it, but I hope I hope it's doing all right. George. All right. So for me, my next show, one of the one of the best shows in the past 20 years uh, is Friday Night Lights, with the exception of the season in which they had the murder plot that I thought was awful. In fact, we'll just call it barf. I thought that whatever that was was barf. But Stakes is like everything around it, incredible, totally rewatchable, big fan. 
So for me, I'm a DC cat. Friday Night Lights is the Madam's organ of bars. Sunday through Thursday, awesome. Friday and Saturday, barf. So Friday Night Lights <laughs> is the Madam's organ of bars. Awesome. Some DC bars in the mix. Um, all right. My next one. This is my uh, one where I just get to be a pretentious asshole. Mary Bess was making fun of me when we opened this uh, game up to not just New York City bars, but to all bars. And she was like, don't use Italy. Um, and uh, I'm not, but I'm going to use another uh, exotic locale. And the show I'm going to talk about is Killing Eve. Uh, what I find to be one of the most enjoyable shows from like the last five or 10 years. I don't think it's like the best show ever, but it's so entertaining. Uh, Jodie Comer and uh, Sandra Oh are fantastic and so compelling. And it's all, it, there's a lot going on and it's got like a lot of color and it's just wild, um, which is why as a bar, it is <laughs> this little wine bar in Antigua, Guatemala <laughs> called Porque No. Uh, which is like one of the fucking coolest places I've been to. It's like a little tiny, like kind of unassuming place from the outside. When you walk in, it's like one of these places that like there's crazy shit just hanging from the ceiling, like wine bottles and guitars. And it's family owned, husband and wife. And the the wife is like the maitre d' and the server. And the husband is the, the cook, um, chef rather. And like they serve pizza and wine and it's in Guatemala, <laughs> not something you would expect, not something that I would usually like gravitate towards if I was in a place like that, but it was highly recommended to us from, I think the person who ran the Airbnb or something like that. And it's one of these places where like all the walls are like white stucco and there's markers everywhere. So every inch of the place is written on by customers. And like, that's, that's like the aesthetic. And yeah, it's just, uh, it's wild. A lot of shit going on, which is why it's Killing Eve. A lot of fun. Porque no. Yeah, it's, oh, okay. So my uh, my third choice here is, um, this came up recently. Um, I was trying to explain the, uh, the Altman version of MASH. I had used it as a reference and Sebastian didn't know what I was talking about. Well, he sort of knew, but he, he had heard a lot about the TV show. Um, but didn't know anything. And he's been going through the, the canon of American television, all of Cheers, all of Seinfeld. <laughs> it's, it's been a lot. Um, and so he decided, he was like, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna see what this mash is about. And <laughs> which um, was kind of a, was a bit rough. Uh, but for me, um, mash was, was always on. I don't know if that's still true. I don't know if there's like the mash cable channel somewhere out there, but for whatever reason, um, you, I feel like you could always turn the TV on and, and there's MASH. Um, I have what I consider to be like my, my surrogate parents. Um, Sam would, would always have MASH on after dinner, even if we were still having a conversation, like MASH is on the TV and the bad joke. It's so dated. It's a different way of making television. It is, the jokes are really, I'm surprised they're still running the show. Um, but there is something kind of like, uh, because it's so familiar, there is something, you know, kind of relaxing about that. It's just to know that it will always be there and to know that in, when all of us are gone in the, in whatever's left of the universe, there's kind of still going to be broadcasting that, that song out into, uh, <laughs> out into the world. Um, so that's why, and since there's also probably a lot of camo, uh, I've decided that MASH is 
Max Club Deuce in Miami. I don't know if you've been to Miami Beach. I've only I've only been to Miami twice, but somehow I've been to that bar four times. <laughs> in the middle of the day, somebody I mean, like we're dropped off there. It's where everybody wants to end up. Like the Max Club Deuce is always it's just always happening. It's been doing what it's doing for decades. It's going to continue to do what it's doing and probably also full of lots of camo and misogyny if you're there at the right time. Um, and so dusty that like the lights have just are furry. It's, <laughs> it's, it's kind of a wonderful dive. It's sort of, it's like, it's just a quintessential, um, it's just one of those things that will always live on. And if I'm ever in Miami, I'm going to run into that bar, whether I want to or not. Though actually, the harder I try, I will probably still end up in front of Max Clip Deuce. Awesome. Nice. George. <laughs> All right. So for my fourth one, I want to shout out my, uh, my favorite show on TV right now. And I think the best show on TV, which is uh, Succession. It's in the third season. And whether or not it's going to be on the Mount Rushmore of HBO shows remains to be seen but it's got the potential. So for me as a bar, it is La Factoria in San Juan, one of the best cocktail bars on the planet. Now, whether or not it ends up being number one remains to be seen, but as of right now, Succession, La Factoria, the, it's seriously, you guys are in San Juan. It's one of the best cocktail bars on the planet and it's always in the running. So, Dave. All right, so, my next one, I, I picked a show, but I, I really want to talk about a specific season of the show. And that's Justified season two, which is, uh, of course, the Timothy Oliphant show that ran for like six or seven seasons. I actually just read that they're bringing it back. Like they're, they might be doing a rebooted like short season of it that like Tarantino is involved somehow. Uh, but anyway, it's based on a character that Elmore Leonard wrote, uh, Raylan Givens, and he's like this this rough and tumble like marshal u.s marshal and he comes back home to like his small town kentucky and especially in season two this town and the world of the tv show is populated with like these fucking like just really really vivid like redneck like scary kentucky hillbilly characters jeremy davies and uh margot martindale and like some other really great actors. So I wanted to pick a place that was like a towny bar, but it's like in the middle of New York City, in the middle of like Hipster Central, Williamsburg, which is why Justified Season 2 is the turkey's nest of, of bars, a place that is literally right by McCarran Park where you can watch like the hipster ball, um, basically, like just everybody wanting to be seen and, and looking a certain way. And then you go into this place and it's like a time capsule and there's a bunch of fucking old heads at the bar and they serve 32 ounce beers in styrofoam cups and you go and drink it in the park. And yeah, it's a little bit, little bit scary, probably a lot of tetanus in there. And uh, yeah, that's why it's justified season two. Great season of television if you haven't seen it. Walton Goggins also, he's incredible. So good. I mean, any bar where you could potentially get Legionnaire's disease sounds yeah. like it's really worth the chance to me. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of memories in that place. <laughs> Ugh, not all good ones. <laughs> all right, Aaron. Um, okay. Uh, this one, I don't, I, this is a show that I wish more people had seen. Um, 
because I, selfishly I wanted another season as well um, and was so odd and so smart that you you sort of look at it and you go like I don't know like I somebody gave this project money I wish that they would have like invested more in it because it could have like, kept going and that's um, Lodge 49 if you saw um, Paul Giamatti is actually one of the producers um, and who who's really interested in what the show is about is like it's it's alchemy and um, the sort of Jungian spirituality, but it's really charming and has sort of like a, a dopey antihero at its center, and and it takes some really bizarre turns, and but that are completely justified and make total sense within the within the show. Um, and I wish it would have kept going because it was, but it's it was also it was just sort of on the periphery of your attention and. You know, when we finally made it into the show, I was like, this is incredible. I don't know where this came from. Um, and to me, Lodge 49 is equivalent to a bar that is long gone called Corova Milk Bar that used to be on Avenue A. And I don't know if you ever saw this, it was just sort of always around, but this bar, it was a clockwork orange themed bar and it had milk-based drinks, which I don't know anybody who actually ever drank them. And it had uh, like white mannequins tacked to the walls <laughs> and you walk in and you're like, who, who decided that they would spend money building this place? But once you get there, it's so surreal and so bizarre that you're kind of, you're glad that you made that choice and you're glad that you're in that space. It's the first time I, I was, I don't think I was old enough to be in the bar, but um, somebody came up to me with like a folder of their, their work, which is just um, portraits of women in uh, bodysuits with, the, with the, the boobs cut out. <laughs> just like as if he'd been carrying this book around all night and he was like I have two words for you burning man and I was like I don't know what that means okay <laughs> wow. Wow. but that was and uh I think it closed in like 2007 maybe um probably too early like lodge 49 so Corova milk bar is my lodge 49 awesome that sounds wild <laughs> It was just strange. <laughs> Orange. That's like the not the movie I would want to have a bar after. <laughs> Sounds like a fucking nightmare. Um, all right, George, why don't you finish it up for us? All right, so we're trying to stick the landing here, and um, uh, the show. Uh, I guess uh, the finale was over twenty years ago, but yet this is still a part of my life, and that is Seinfeld. Um, uh, Seinfeld in some markets comes on three and four times a day, and if I'm at home, I'm watching every episode of that. I've always said that I don't want to be an old man as a bartender, but if I was going to be an old man, at least much older man than I am now, I'd want to be an old man bartending at Harry's Corner in New Orleans where all the bartenders are old men. And I'd be thinking about Seinfeld 20 years from now, just like I'll be thinking about going to Harry's Corner 20 years from now. So Seinfeld is the Harry's Corner of bars in New Orleans. Awesome. Yeah. New Orleans, no shortage of amazing bars. Um, all right, my last one is a show that I is one of my favorite shows of all time. It's made me laugh as much as any show ever has. It also makes me cringe quite a bit for many different reasons, and that's Curb Your Enthusiasm. And it's it feels, I know that at some point it will end, but it also feels like it will be there forever. And if you go back and watch like the, it, it kind of exists in this nebulous time. Like he, he responds to things that are current, but it, it's still funny. It's still as funny as it was to me, you know, 15 years ago or whenever, when it started. 
he's he writes dumb characters really smartly or like dumb scenarios in like a really smart way to me it's like just really unpretentious uh how ridiculous it is but it's also like i know and i know it's improv but his his writing of overall like plot lines is so fucking good once they started doing like entire season long arcs uh, which I think started in like season three or four. I mean, the the producer's season and like the season where they go back to New York and it's just like, it's some next level shit, which is why to me, it's a bar that I also would consider to be really unpretentious. And if you didn't know, you wouldn't know how skilled the bartenders were and how great drinks they made. And it's the bar that Aaron used to work at, which is Mother's Ruin, which is always, it's always been one of my favorite places, even before we met and and I went there while you were working, but uh, it's always been one of my favorite places because it's a place where you can get a cocktail that tastes as good as anywhere else in the fucking city, but the bartenders are wearing like t-shirts and like cutoffs and shit. And it's not, there's no air of like, you know, aloofness that you get at a lot of these cocktail bars. And I like, you know, fancy cocktail bars as much as the next person where you have to feel like you want to dress up and, and have a, have a, $20 fucking cocktail. Um, but there's some, you know, and it's a place that like people have the wrong opinion of because you're doing things like free pouring. And like, that's one of those things that like, I didn't learn how to bartend that way. And it took me a while to realize that like, if you're really good, you can do that. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, you have to have the skills to do that. And again, you have to have the skills to be casual, but also produce a really good product, which is why Kirby Enthusiasm is the mother's ruin. Also, I think you would agree with this, like Monday through through Thursday or so, like awesome. Friday, Saturday, mm. cringe, cringe. I mean, the the amount of times that that's, somebody has said something kind of idiotic to me and the song plays in my head, like freeze frame on, over my face. Yeah. And I'm just hearing this like multiple times a night. So I, you know what? I would actually agree with that too. Or also, uh, the amount of times that I probably stuck my foot in my mouth trying to die on a very small hill. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> also similar. Awesome. I'll, I'll own up to that. Um, that's a good one. I, I, I appreciate that. Um, okay. Um, mine is a bit of a cheat, if that's okay. But I think it is like the best way to describe an experience. Um, and we've been watching a lot of um, How To with John Wilson. The, the show made up of complete B-roll that starts in one place and ends up someplace else is, it is so New York. It is such a snapshot of New York in all of its weird corners. And it's just, uh, you know, peeling back all of the bits of this city that, um, that, we, that we know that, you, that are really kind of hard to capture. And somehow, somehow he's captured all of it and then some. Uh, and I'm a, a, a huge fan of that kind of, I don't know if you call it, is it documentary? Is it journalistic? Is it, is it, is it, um, is he journaling? Is it personal? I'm, I'm not sure. Um, but I love, I love that version. It's the, it's the greatest way to explain New York to somebody else with, <laughs> without actually having to explain it. And um, How To With John Wilson is equivalent to summer of 2020 to go drinks all over the place. When the, those after those first four weeks, when we finally came out of our apartments, we went down to the corner. We actually saw our neighbors, who God love. I mean, saved us because that, that that even if we were standing across the street, we still could break the isolation and actually physically check in with people. 
and we could just do a wander through the neighborhood, like saying hello, seeing it actually um, feeling that, that city in its tangible way and, and that sense of community that New York is really good at in a crisis, which we were not able to do so much in th this particular crisis. Um, so in that way, it, is, it's, it's, it was a quintessential New York moment, much like how to a John Wilson. So awesome. if it counts, uh, that's, my, that's my submission. That is great. That was awesome. That counts <laughs> counts for double points if we did that. It's a, <laughs> yeah. everything counts. Aaron, thank you so much, man. That was great. Um, it's been a joy to have you here. I I am lucky I get to see you almost once a week. But uh, you know, thank you so much for for coming on and, and doing this with us. Of course, this was a good time. Before we let you get out of here, tell us where to find you and and uh, all of your your projects. Uh, well, I mean, I you can I am I'm a lurker on social media. I'm very um, I'm not a big participant, but I'm always I'm in you know <laughs> it's mostly just political. <clears throat> I got to work on that. Uh, but. Uh, I am on Twitter under my own name, Aaron Ruth, and uh, Instagram at Aaron the Baron. I don't, somebody picked that and I just can't let it go. I just- That's great. And, I don't, and now I don't, I have no reverence for it. So I'm just like, yeah, take that Instagram. Um, but uh, Super Pumped is um, every Sunday for the next six Sundays. So uh, on Showtime, second episode is out tomorrow and uh, my character makes an appearance and then um, ramps it up towards the end. So. Uh, and I think it's a, it's a good time. Even if you don't like those people or that industry, the dynamics are, um, are a fun ride. So yeah, hope you get to quit. Really looking forward to it. Again, thank you so much. I appreciate you very much for coming on. Thank you. Enjoy your Saturday, Aaron. Oh, thank you guys. I appreciate it. Good <laughs> to meet you, George. You too. All right, we're back. Thank you so much to Aaron Ruth. That was great. Check out her on all the socials at Aaron Ruth and at Aaron the Baron on Instagram. Check out Super Pumped on Showtime and her past series Preacher, Billions, and The Gifted. That was awesome. I'm I. Uh, it's nice when we get to have uh, somebody I know <laughs> in here. I uh, mm -hmm. always uh, enjoy that. All right, now we're gonna go ahead and move into last call where we talk about things we're looking forward to and what we got going on in the next week. George, what's uh, what do you got for us? Well, it's just gonna be one thing, but it encompasses the next five weeks. And uh, anybody who knows me, I know that I, they know that I'm a big sports person, but my true love of my life, my true girlfriend is college basketball. And this week, this episode airs uh, on Friday, but the start of March Madness is this week, and that includes conference tournaments. Conference tournaments I'm going to be paying attention to is my own alma mater, which is the American Athletic. I think we, if we can get to the semifinals slash finals, we can get into the tournament. We're 10 and 1 in our last 11. We're getting hot right at the right time, and we're beating the best team in our conference twice, which includes beating Houston by 20 this past Sunday. So I'll be paying attention to that. I'm also going to be paying attention to the Big Ten. The Big Ten is pretty loaded this year with uh, Purdue and Illinois being at the very top. And I'm also going to pay attention to Big 12, something I would never, ever say in my life. And uh, that's also a pretty loaded conference as well with Texas and Texas Tech. I like the fact that the old Texas Tech coach is the current Texas coach. So there's a bit of bad blood there. And I'm going to be paying attention to those conference tournaments. And 
find our way to the tournament, which is like, uh, like I said, this is my favorite time of the year, like five weeks of college basketball where everything matters. And then right after that, we got the Masters and right after that, we got NBA and NHL playoffs. So it's going to be an exciting few weeks. Dave, what are you looking forward to? Yeah, awesome. Um, March Madness, man. It's uh, always a fun time. I'm trying to do like a crash course uh, <laughs> and like fit an entire season of college basketball into like four days so I can I can bet on it. But I don't think I'm going to because like my thing is like you can't bet on what you don't watch. And I literally have not watched a single fucking college basketball game this year. We're going to have a cheat code in a few few weeks when Noah comes on. He's a college basketball analyst. So we're going to we're just we're going to just just gonna like just ride his coattails and then see what he has to say. All right, cool. So maybe I'll bet like the second half of the tournament after we talk mm-hmm. to him. Yep. But uh, I'm going to stick to the NBA for now. All right. I got only uh, one thing myself as well. And it's a new show. It actually just start the first episode. First couple episodes just dropped. I haven't watched it yet. I'm really looking forward to it. And that's Our Flag Means Death on HBO Max, which is the new series that's uh, produced by Taika Waititi. Um, it stars Taika, but also Reese Darby from uh, Flight of the Concords, who is hysterical. Uh, Ewan mm-hmm. Bremner, Fred Armisen, Leslie Jones, uh, Nat Faxon. Mm-hmm. And it's like, a, you know, in the vein of like Taika's other stuff, like like absurdist kind of comedy about pirates <laughs> and, and he's like mm-hmm. Reese Darby is like a he's he's like a gentleman pirate he's like a dandy and he's like trying to like remake himself as a pirate <laughs> and it it looks mm-hmm. hysterical so yeah I'm all in for that our flag means death on HBO Max have you checked that out yet no I'm looking forward to it it's like uh, I love me some Matt Faxon um, uh, and Leslie Jones so, yeah that, that cast is as deep as they come that's like 27 Yankees type cast. So I'm looking forward to that as well. Yeah. And they're all in like ridiculous, like period pirate garb. (laughs) All right. That'll do it for me. George, why don't you tell our listeners what we got going on on our next show? Uh, What we have going on our next show is the aforementioned Noah Savage is a current ESPN analyst doing college basketball in particular, the, the Ivy, the Ivy league. So we're going to have him on. We're going to talk about basketball. We're going to talk about some uh, some Oscar movies as well. So that's going to be a big episode. Sweet. Awesome. Yeah. Probably a lot of value in those Ivy League matchups. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. I think so. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> yeah. We'll, we'll, talk, uh, we'll talk later about this. Um, but uh, all right. We're going to go ahead and round out this show. I want to say thank you so much to our guest, Aaron. Thank you to George. Thank you to producer Mary Best. Thank you to all of you, our listeners. And thank you to Amanda Zeller, our designer, and Nate88, Alitech Kid, and Kazo Oslo for our theme. Everybody, please subscribe, rate, and review to Know Your Roles wherever you get your podcasts. And everybody, be safe and do some mutual aid. I'm bringing that back because it's always a good thing. If you're feeling shitty about the world, go ahead and do something for someone. And for me, I know uh, this Monday we've list- lifted the, uh, the mandate of uh, showing proof of vaccination. But let's go ahead and do it for another week. Or maybe even two. So that's where I'm at with that. Yeah, I uh, copy that. <laughs> for sure. All right, we're out. Um, no, 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 no.